Welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. And today I want to talk to you, uh, the series is Generous Steward, but I want to talk to you around the concept or the idea, handle with care. So our series scriptures, this 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, it says, Each of you, read it with me, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. Everybody say that again. To serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 through 33 is what we're going to read for our, for our text for this message. Matthew 6, verse 31 through 33. Everyone read it with me. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Father, I just ask you to anoint me to teach today. I ask you to really open the hearts of every one of us today to hear what you're saying to us, to grasp what you're saying to us, that we might live our lives according to your will and according to your purpose. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. You can be seated. Man, I'm so glad that you're in the house of the Lord today because what I want to teach you is very, very important, and I know that I know you're going to get it. I know you're going to grab a hold of it. But I really want you to focus. If you if you don't have the note, or if you don't if you if you take notes, uh, that's great. But you can also go on our app, and the notes are all outlined for you there, and you can add your own notes into it as well. But I would encourage you to do that. So, so Matthew chapter six, verse thirty-one through thirty-three, it says, "So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear?'" For the pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So I just want to draw some some very specific things out of this passage of Scripture. But the thing I want you to grab most is that God is saying that what he does is he takes care of us and he gifts us with the things we need. But then the expectation of us is that we would be good stewards with what he's gifted us. And in the previous text we read, the gifts that God's given you, you serve others with those gifts. The problem that we have so much of the time is that we use gifts for our own benefit and not for the benefit of others. And it's okay to be successful, but it's more important to be significant. Success says, I have effectively done something well and it's produced in my life. I've done something well with what God's given me, and it's produced in my life. Yet, I also want it to affect and impact others. And when I make that move to steward what God has given me to the point that it influences someone else, now I have walked into the place of significance. I was walking in success. Now I'm walking in significance. And what I'm saying today is that I believe God wants us to be spiritually successful but he also wants us to be spiritually significant. So he tells us here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 through 33, he says, So don't worry saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink, what shall we wear. 
He, he's saying to us, don't worry. Now, now I, I know that we live in a time where anxiety is at an all-time high, especially in the United States of America, in the Western world, and North America. I don't know why, but we worry like it's going out of style. It's just anxious all the time, stressed out all the time, worried all the time. God is saying, get the worry out of your life. He's not suggesting that we get the worry out of our life. This is not... This is not a question. This is not a suggestion. This is an affirmative declaration. Don't worry. Stop worrying. Because when we get into this place of worry and anxiety and stress and fretting, what happens is it shuts us down to be able to accomplish the purpose that God has for us. I cannot be a generous steward. I cannot be an effective Christian. I cannot be an effective person if I'm always consumed with worry and stress and fretting. And here's the biggest problem with worry and stress and fretting. Here's the biggest problem with it. It is absolutely a demarcation point in our life, an indicator, a red flag, if you will, that says you don't trust God. And that's the problem with worry is because it's saying, I'm going to sit and ruminate over this. I'm going to sit and struggle with this. I'm going to sit and fight with this. I'm going to sit and be concerned about this and worry really at its most base levels. Just fear. I'm afraid of what's going to happen. And what happens is when we get in that place of fear, it keeps us from being able to accomplish or achieve the things that God has assigned and purposed for us to achieve. God has given you gifts. He's given you talents. He's given you strengths. He's given you abilities all of which he would like to use for kingdom advancement and kingdom purpose. But if you're constantly worried and stressed and fretting, you will not accomplish those things because you'll turn in on yourself. You'll go into guard mode. You'll get into the corner and you'll watch out so no one can get you and nothing can stop you. And oh my God, what's going to happen? What happened to, I was on my way here. Sometimes I just like to listen to gospel music. It's how I grew up. And I'm not talking about gospel music. I'm talking about gospel music. You know what I'm saying? And I was listening to this song that we used to always sing in church when I was coming up. It's called Victory is Mine. Y'all ever heard that? Today, Victory today is mine. And I just thought when I was listening to that, I was like, man, where has this gone in the life of the believer? Have we gotten our eyes so fixed on the world and the problems with the world and the issues of the world that, that we have forgotten that victory is ours. We serve a Savior who not only died on the cross for us, but he rose again from the dead. Listen, if he raises again from the dead, do you know how the Apostle Paul talks about that? He says, he says this, he says, the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in you. Now, I don't know very many Christians that act like they believe that. The same spirit that literally brought him up out of that tomb, punched death in the face, walked through the door and said, here I am back again. You can't get rid of me. I've defeated death. I've defeated hell. I've defeated the grave. I've took captivity captive. I've set the captives free. Here I am. Death can't hold me. Grave can't stop me. Sin can't overcome me. Listen, that's the Jesus we serve. Jesus came when he came in the incarnation as a baby as a humble servant as a teacher but listen when he comes again in the position he's in right now he you need to go re-revelations he's that he's got head of hair white like wool and eyes like a flaming fire and a sword coming from his mouth proceeding from this is the king this is the king of kings the lord of lords he is all in all victory is mine 
What do I have to worry about? The Bible says in Romans 8, 15, we haven't been given the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Have you ever been on the playground when you were a kid and you said, my dad is bigger than your dad? Well, you know what? We're living on the playground in our life, and the devil's always coming around talking about how big and bad he is, and people are always coming around flouting. Now we live in a society now where they're flouting evil and flouting wickedness and flouting, put it in your face. You got to accept it. You got to love it. You got to take it. You got to walk with it. And you know what? All you have to say when the devils are trying to intimidate you that you won't live in love or you won't live in forgiveness or you won't live in grace or you won't live the way God wants you to live. Listen, if he's intimidated, you can literally say, listen, my daddy is bigger than you and you are a liar. You can't even tell the truth. Like my grandpa used to say, the devil would rather climb a tree and lie than stand on the ground and tell the truth. Y'all get that later. In other words, even if it's inconvenient, he'll lie. The Bible says he's the father of lies. There's no truth in him. So if his kids are people who aren't in the family of God and they're in the world, then what they're saying isn't true either. Don't partner yourself with a lie. Don't believe a lie, but stand on the victory of God. You don't have to worry. You don't have to stress. Why? Because we serve a risen Savior. We trust God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways. He'll direct your paths. Don't worry. Seek first. He's saying seek. He says, stop worrying and trying to take care of yourself, but start running after God. Seek. How many ever played hide and seek when you were kids? Hide and seek. Well, man, man, if you were good at hide and seek, you didn't just seek until you got tired. You seek until you found. Because you didn't want to be it. How many of y'all did not want to be it? You didn't want to be the one running around trying to find everybody. Everybody's hiding, having fun, hiding from you, and you got to be it. No, we, we don't seek until we get tired. We seek until we find. We turn our attention away from the problems of the world. We turn our attention away from the struggles that we have. We turn our attention away from the issues that we're dealing with. And we focus succinctly and seriously onto our King and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And when we put our focus and our faith on Him, him and seek him first and his righteousness first then all these things will be added to us you don't have to worry about am I going to be taken care of you don't have to worry about am I going to be provided for you don't have to worry about it is it going to be okay because no matter what happens it's going to be okay if you're serving Jesus tell your neighbor say it's going to be okay so we have to handle with care the gifts that God has given us. We have to handle it with care. We cannot take advantage of it. We cannot take it for granted. We cannot waste it. We cannot waste it. It, it concerns me that a lot of times we as believers, we, we, don't, we, 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 we find ourselves being wasteful with the gifts and the abilities and the strengths and the personalities and the things that God has given us. That talent like we talked about last week, that, that, that investment that God's placed in us, that spirit, that attitude, that everything that God is to us and has given to us. It concerns me that we spend our time with so much stuff and we waste the things that God has given us to use to advance the kingdom. Here's how you know you're wasting it is if you're not advancing the kingdom. 
If you're using it for your own self, that's great, good. But if you're advancing the kingdom now, you've stopped wasting and you've started making it valuable. You see, in order to be generous stewards, God wants us to be, we must have the correct mindset. Our thinking must be aligned with the thinking of God. And this is a problem, and, 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 and I'm going to be spending some time over the next few months to trying to help us get out of this problem. And we've seen it manifest in so many different ways, and I can't go into all of it today. I'm just going to stick with what I want to try to teach you today. But what we have to do is change the way we think in order to begin to go in the direction God would have us to go. And the way we think currently, or a lot of believers think, is that, that this is a relationship that's one-sided. That we go to God for what we need, salvation. We go to God for what we need, help, provision, healing. We go to God for what we need, and we expect God to show up in our lives because He loves us, and He cares for us, and, 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 and He changes us, and He makes us moral, and that's really all there is to this. But, oh, friends, this, that, is, that is scratching barely the surface of what it means to be a disciple to follow Jesus. There's so much more, and we're going to have to change the way we think about the world and the way we think about things if we're going to really be the generous steward that God has called us to be. You know, we must have a biblical worldview. Through lens, what lens do you see the world through? How do you interpret the realities of life that are going on around you? What are your first principles? What are your values? What are your norms? What are your ways of living? What is your culture? The big question is, is all of that derived from tradition, from religion, from politics, from money, environment? Or is your life clearly informed by the transforming work of the Holy Spirit and the Bible and the life that Christ lived to model for us? And the apostles and their doctrine. Is that what informs my worldview? Is that why I think the way I do? Or am I allowing other things to be the center of my life in a way that it's informing every other aspect of my life? If I'm bibliocentric or Christocentric, then my whole life revolves around the word of God and Jesus himself. And, and, and the way I find out is I ask myself, what is his word? What is his will? What are his ways? His word, what does his word say? And how does that differ from the world? Not just from an educational or information standpoint, but a spiritually transformational standpoint. Can I, can I tell you something just really quickly? This is not a history book. Oh, it's got history in it. This is not a poetry book. It's got poetry in it. It's, it's not a literature book, but it's full of different types of literature, narrative and poetry and, and history and all kinds of different creative devices that were used to, 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 to be inspired to get us the Word of God. But this is a transformational book. It's what, it's what unbelievers can't understand about the Bible. They can't get it. And the Bible tells us that. The Bible says that if you're living in the flesh or you're not a, a saved, you're not in a relationship with God, you can't understand the things of the Spirit. Matter of fact, your heart is at enmity with God. In other words, God's your enemy. And you can't understand Him, and you can't understand His Word. And it's when God turns that on for you by His Holy Spirit, draws you to Him, you get in a relationship with Him, all of a sudden this book comes alive. It's transformational. It's not just informational or educational. 
I love that the Bible teaches you some good moral principles. But let me just tell you something. You can take some good moral principles from this Bible, live a good life, but not be saved or go to heaven. That's the truth. You, you can get an education in Christian things and know all about it, but we don't want to know about God. We want to know God. So when we understand the word of God, we have to understand the same person who inspired these, these words to be written in, in men. And he said, you know, 40 different men, three different languages, 1,500 years. He inspired them to write something that correlates perfectly. How did he do that? The Holy Spirit. And the same Holy Spirit that inspired them to write is the same Holy Spirit that inspires you to read. So if you're having struggles with the Bible, you need to understand, it's not just about getting an education. It's not just about information. It's about when you start renewing your mind with this word, it transforms your life from the inside out. You just start changing and you don't even know why. I don't think the way I used to think. That's what it means to be bibliocentric. When I come up to a challenge or a problem or an issue in life or a, a philosophy in life, my mind doesn't agree with what the world is saying. My mind doesn't agree with what the world is putting forward. But my mind immediately goes to what the Bible says. Are you hearing me? Are you guys with me? His ways. How does God do it? What is the character or nature of God? And how does it apply in this context? And then thirdly, what is His will? What does He want us to do? What is His purpose for us and others who obey him. Listen, if our mindset is bibliocentric or Christocentric, then we see the resources in our lives as something that belongs to God, not something that belongs to us. We see our children as someone who belongs to God, not us. We see our money as something that belongs to God, not us. We see our business as something that belongs to God, not us us we see our life as something that belongs to God not us why because I'm looking at things from his perspective not mine so let's let's talk about the mindset we must have to be a generous steward with the three predominant God-given resources he's given us you know what the three predominant God-given resources God's given us time talent treasure John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 5 says this, They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. You ever felt like your people around you just didn't get you? Hey, Christian, you ever feel like people just did You ever been on Facebook lately, or you've watched what's gone on in the world lately, and things are popping up everywhere, and you're like, I have no clue what's going on. You try to just say how you feel, and somebody's like, I don't even, I have, you don't get, that's right, they don't get you. Because you're not speaking the same language, you're from a different country. Are you with me? 1 John 4, 5 very clearly says they are from the world, therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. When we speak, we should be speaking from the viewpoint of heaven. We should be speaking from the viewpoint of God. John chapter 17, verse 14 through 17 says this, I have given them your word and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world anymore. Then I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. In other words, God, Jesus himself here is saying, listen, 
they, they have become part of our kingdom, and now they're not like the world, and the world hates them because of that. It is so shocking to me how American Christians, when some kind of little persecution happens, we act surprised by that. Are you, you guys are being quiet this morning. Are you getting this? Or just, Say something. Say, yes, that's right. Amen. Oh, yes, you're exactly right, Pastor. I'm going to listen to every word you say. You are a brilliant. You're brilliant. I don't know how you come up with that. You don't have to say all that. You don't have to say all that. I hope you're thinking it, though. No, I'm joking. I'm not. But that, it's the truth, right? It's the truth. Come on, listen, listen. We've got to get our mind influenced by the word. We have to get our mind influenced by biblical thought and biblical ideas and Christ ideas. And I'll tell you why. Because when you start seeing the world through filters of the world, then you might say things you might say things that you might hear God say, but you'll say them in things that, in ways that God would never say them. You might do things that look Christian, but you'll do them in ways that the nature of God would never do. It's good for me to stand up and say, this is right. That's perverse. That's wrong. That's an issue. This is sin. It's okay for me to say that, but the moment I start attacking, the moment I start condemning, the moment I start hating, the moment I start becoming embittered, now my worldview that is informing me is my flesh and the world. It is not God. So here I am thinking I'm fighting on the side of God, and the reality is I'm fighting on the side of the devil using the words of God and making God look like he's not who he said he was. And then there's the other side of that where we are intimidated by the world and we just keep our mouth quiet and we say nothing or we stand up for nothing or we believe nothing of truth and we don't seek that righteousness. You've got to get, and I've got to get our thinking based from a world. The lens I see through is a biblical perspective, not a man's perspective. Not man's version of the Bible perspective. God's word is clear and it is right and we stand by it. And if we let it inform our lives, it will have an impact that is wonderful and lovely. And it will be us handling the gifts that God has given us with care. Romans chapter 8 verse 29 in the message said God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as his son. In other words, if we have a biblical perspective or a Christocentric perspective, then we're thinking in terms of being conformed into the image of Jesus. Our life is to be like his. Our mind is to operate like his. That's why the Apostle Paul said, put on the mind of Christ. Think like Jesus thinks. Well, how can I do that? I'm not Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him. Without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of, uh, in the darkness, and darkness comprehended it not. And the world beheld Him as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us as we behold Him as the only begotten of the Father. Listen, listen to me, listen to me. Jesus is the personification of that word. This word is the literal, the literal manifestation of who he is, what he thinks, how he does. 
And we have to get our mind around that. So current worldview problems are sociocentric. We think like our society. we got to get in with our society. We've forgotten how God thinks. We spend less time in the Bible and more time on Facebook. Come on, everybody. Let's just be real. You grab that phone as soon as you get up out of bed. You want to know what your friends are saying. And maybe not even Facebook. Maybe it's email. Maybe it's texting. Maybe it's whatever. We don't know. Whatever it is, we don't know. But I can tell you this. It's not more important than God. We're sociocentric. It's what everybody else is. It's why, it's why a lot of people in the church have gotten, uh, gotten away from the word of God and gotten away from strong theology because someone in their family, someone in their social circle has decided that they're going to live in a way that is antithetical to the word of God. And, and instead of that making us urgent and going to God and saying, God, please save my friend. God, see, please save my family. Instead, we're going, well, let's just change our theology to fit their behavior because we can't stand the thought that they wouldn't go to heaven. See, the reason that that mindset shift is so easy to happen is because of our worldview. Because what's informing the way we think about the realities of the world is not the Bible, but it's the philosophies of the age. And we don't even realize it's happened to us. We ain't ready for AI, y'all. We can't even handle what's going on right now. Are you with me? Money-centric. We get money-centric, and we center our whole lives around money. Even, you don't even have to have money to be money-centric. If every decision you make is about money, if every thought you think is about money, if the decisions you make in your life and purpose and design and what God wants for you is always predicated upon your feelings about money, you have a problem. God is not the centric. The worldview, the, world the biblical things are not the center point of your life. It's money or finance or that there's nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong with money in general. It's not money that's the root of all evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. In other words, it's when your life is centered around something that is not God. Your worldview is influenced and informed by something that is not God. It is out of bounds. And we've allowed it to happen. Political centric. Oh, this is the one. This is the one that we're struggling with right now. And here's the problem. Here's the problem. It doesn't matter if you go left or you go right. Here's the problem. If you, if you start allowing your worldview to be framed around your political ideologies, here's what happens. You even start seeing the Bible through your politics. You're supposed to see your politics through the Bible. Oh, I'm going to sit down for this one. I'm going to sit down for this one. Y'all ain't ready for this. We do it all the time. We see it on the left. We see it on the right. And what we're really seeing is we're not seeing Christians who have thoughts about how things should be. We're seeing political people who are trying to make their Christianity fit their politics. It's just the fact. And it's causing hate. And it's causing bitterness. And it's causing division. And the problem really that it's causing more than anything is not to others but to self. Because now my politics have become my ideology. Wouldn't it be great if all believers and Christians would spend all the energy and effort that we have getting a worldview about Jesus and about the Bible and we come from that perspective, ministering to people individually, discipling the world, actually doing what God told us to do, make disciples. You know what would happen? The cultural problems we're having in the world would go away. And we wouldn't be standing up shouting and screaming and yelling at people saying, you're not a Christian because you don't believe exactly like I do. 
or you're not a Christian because this is what the Bible says. Yeah, it's what the Bible says, but what you're doing right now, you're being the devil. Oh, well, it is quiet in here, yes. Well, I have a right to know you don't have any rights. No, I have a right. I live in a free country. I'm in America. I have rights. Yeah, but you're a child of God. You submitted your rights to God. You said, God, I'm yours. And I, my rights are whatever rights you give me. You say, no, wait a minute, Pastor. You're going too far. I have a biblical worldview. And if it feels too far, well, I don't want to say the rest. Listen, we've got to stop it. I'm not saying don't have conservative values. Let's just be honest. We're mostly conservative here. We probably have some people that lean liberal, but we're mostly conservative. Shoot, this is the most conservative county in the world. And I'm not getting into politics. Don't misunderstand me. But here's what I'm saying. Your worldview about political things has to come from a biblical perspective. Because you're not a citizen of here first. First, you're a citizen of heaven. You belong to heaven. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us we are ambassadors to the world. Do you know it actually says that we are like, we are like ambassadors that God is pleading to the world through us to come back in relationship with him. That's the worldview we should be having. So when we think about politics, yes, we want to stand for what is truth. This relativistic truth has to go out the window. That, that's not going to save anybody. It's not going to help anybody. Your truth isn't your truth. My truth isn't my truth. Look where it's gotten us. And if you can't see we're not in a good place, then something's wrong. You're, like my dad used to say, you're blind in one eye, you can't see out of the other. Come on, listen, we're not in a good spot. But how do we fix it? We fix it by going back as believers to the word and to a, a perspective. And we act as if Jesus didn't live in times that were hard. We act as if Jesus didn't face political problems himself. The problems he faced. Oh, some of y'all are so uncomfortable right now. I'm not uncomfortable about this. You know why? Because I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about a biblical worldview. I, I don't care what your politics are. I'm not going to tell you what your politics should be. I, 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 most of the things that most people call politics, I don't even call politics because they're not about politics. They're about right and wrong. But the reason I operate and function that way is because that's what my biblical perspective tells me to do. Biblical perspective says, I look at people who are enamored with sin as people who are struggling and need help. A worldly, religious perspective says, I hate them because of their sin. And it also really, really, really exposes the fact that you have forgotten how sinful you were and are. Oh, man, you guys have gotten so quiet. Like, I didn't come to church to hear all this. Listen, we're going to fix this problem. Why are people choosing other things except church? Their worldview is messed up. Why are people choosing not to seek and pray like they used to? Their worldview is messed up. They're informed by Whatever society is telling them they should be, instead of saying, no, this is who, this is who God 
has called us to be. And every decision I make, every thought that I think, every, every effort that I go through, everything that I do will be filtered through that thinking, will be influenced and informed through that thinking. Not just Jesus, not, not just religion, not religion at all, but Jesus God, his word, his will, his ways. And if I get away, if I get on his word, but I don't consider his ways, then all I can become is just a religious finger pointer. But if I understand how Jesus dealt with people with his word, then I can understand I don't even want just to do his word, but I want to do his will in his way. Jesus Jesus' ministry, if it was anything, it was challenging the worldview of humanity. He was saying there's another way to think here. Do you know the Bible, the word repentance, do you know what it means? The word Greek word metanoia, it means to change your mind. I'll give you an example of this. Man, oh, oh. that resource of time, God's given us, hallelujah, it's so wonderful. I'll give you an example. Why did Peter cut off the ear of the man that came to, to take Jesus? Why did Peter cut his ear off? And then turned right around after Jesus was taken and taken to be tried in a home of a religious leader and da setting down in a, a courtyard and a little girl, young girl, said, aren't you one of them? And he cursed, no, I'm not. I'm not one of them. I don't know him. Why would Peter do either one of those things? That, that's crazy. He's been following Jesus around for three and a half years. He knows Jesus' will. He knows Jesus' word. He knows Jesus' ways. But why was he thinking in a way that would cause him to try to cut? Can you imagine? Can you, it's the funniest scenario of the Passion Week, the funniest, where they come to get him, Judas kisses Jesus, they finally say, Jesus says, who do you seek? They say, Jesus of Nazareth, he says, I am he, when he says the words I am he, everybody falls back, after everybody gets up, they come over to get him, and they come to get him, and when they're trying to get him, Peter just gets crazy, grabs a sword, and Try, see, he's a fisherman, y'all. This is why he missed. He missed. He, he wasn't trying to cut his ear off. He's trying to get his head. But he missed. He's not very good at stuff. And, and he just tries to cut, and he cuts the guy's ear off. Can you, can you imagine what was going through Peter's mind where Jesus looked at him like, man, and picked up that guy's ear and put it back on his head? I bet everybody's like, I don't know what's happening right now. What is going on? Why would he do that? Because, see, Peter had a worldview that saw the kingdom of God as physical and national. He thought the Messiah was coming to overthrow the Roman oppression and any oppression and, and cause the Israelis or Israel to rule and reign as we know is coming in the future in eschatological thinking. We understand that. But that's what Peter, as a Jewish man, was thinking the Messiah was going to do. Free him from oppression. So with that being the information in his head, it's why he got so confused. Why aren't you fighting? Everybody just blames Peter for denying Jesus. But can you imagine? His thought was Jesus has got this power. I mean, he just said, I am he. Everybody fell over. 
Jesus has this power. Why aren't you using it to free us from oppression? Why aren't you, why aren't you putting an army together? Why aren't we getting on this thing? And so he didn't know what to do. So first, he tries to take somebody out. Second, he denies he even knows Jesus. Why? Because his worldview was nationalistic and physical. And he didn't understand that Jesus was coming first to change the hearts of men. His conquest was to change the hearts of men first. And at some point, he is going to come back, and he is going to rule and reign, and every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it will be militaristic, and it will be kingly, and it will be, well, I might, might say international or universal <laughs> or however you want to say it. Our worldview, the way we think about things, what influences us, causes us to think, act, and be a certain way. And I just really believe that, I'm going to say it, my grandfather used to, he used to tell us again, I didn't even have a TV in my house till I was like eight, eight or nine. Because my mom and dad were just like, we're holy, we won't be having a TV in our house. Boy, was I glad when we got unsanctified. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they took it to a legalistic place, but I got news for you guys. If you're not paying attention, we are affected. I'm closing with this. I got so much more of a message here. Good Lord, there's just no way to get to all of it. I'm not going to keep you till five. I'll preach the rest of it next, not next week, but the week after. But we're affected. We have to admit it. We have to admit it. That the world, the philosophies, the ideologies, the mentality of the world has gotten to us. And, and the reason is, is because we, have, we are partaking of the world more than we are of the things of God. You understand what I'm saying? It's like we watch so much TV and shows and we just, we numb ourselves from the realities of what are going around us. And if you think for a minute that what's coming into your mind and into your heart is not affecting the way you think, well, you're not human if you believe that. It's just not true. I don't care what somebody's going to say. You notice people that always argue with that are people that make money off of you continuing to do it. We're filling our minds full. And I'm, just, I'm not just on television or on bit. I mean, we binge watch. We binge watch stuff because we're so tired and we're so fed up. And we're so, I'm just going to go watch something for hours. <laughs> or we fill our lives with activity. Why do you think we're doing that? We didn't used to do that. Why are we doing it now? Why? We've replaced God. We feel that emptiness. We feel that void. We, we know it's there because, because we're not seeking Him like we should. He's not in, we're not in His Word. Our mind isn't being full and transformed by His thoughts and His thinking. And so what happens is we start feeling again like there's not enough. Like, like I need something else. I need something more. And so we allow our minds to be influenced by the world. 
I, I'm, I'm giving this example, but I'm, I'm just going to tell you, I, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm not casting aspersions. I'm just saying this for historical context. I remember when Oprah was a Christian. Now, I'm not trying to make everybody mad because I know in this part of the world with the cows and all that, but I'm just saying she was, she was a soul dedicated, committed Christian. Until she started having relativistic thinking and she allowed the ideologies of the world and desires for certain lifestyles to cause her worldview to be informed by so-called enlightenment that was nothing more than doubt, fear, and cynicism. And I remember the day where she basically castigated a woman for getting up and saying Jesus is the only way to get to heaven and embarrassed her in front of the whole world and said, no, that's not true. There are many paths to God. This is a person who has declared as a Christian she believed Jesus is the way. She'll still talk like she does, but the truth is she doesn't. And we live in a world that we've embraced the worldview of the world. And the Apostle John told us, don't do this. He said, love not the world or the things of the world. For if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. He wasn't talking about people. He was talking about philosophies. He was talking about ideologies. What is, what is the love of the world? Pride of life, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. So I just want to say with clarity this morning, we've got to put a pause in it and say, I'm not going to allow myself to be informed by all of this nonsense anymore. You wonder why you, why you feel overwhelmed. Why do you feel overwhelmed? When, when you have these philosophies that are perverse, that are rising up and they're saying they're in your face, you must accept this, you must accept this. Whether it's transgender, transgender ideology, whether it's homosexuality, whether it's fornication, whether it's adultery, whether it's any of the sexual sins or any of the pride sins or any of the lust sins, when these things come up, you wonder why you feel so overwhelmed by a society that has embraced that. It's because you're drinking from the same well. But your heart is telling you, you're a Christian. And the Holy Spirit is convicting and saying, no, 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 no. That's not right. That's not true. But your fuel has been depleted. Your thinking has been affected. And it's time. I know this is a hard thing to hear. But this is why the Bible tells us it's the renewing of our mind that transforms us. It's the renewing of our mind that transforms us. Paul said, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Put your mind in this book. Put your mind in the will of God and in the ways of God. And stop giving in. Stop giving in your personal space to the enemy. Stop giving your mind to the devil. Stop giving your mind to philosophies that are worldly. Stop giving your mind to things that will bring you to doubt and fear and failure. Come on, let's get our mind filled with the Word. Since when was Jesus not enough? Since when was Jesus not big enough and strong enough and great enough and powerful enough for us to follow Him and live for Him and Him bring victory in our life. It's time for Christians to become victorious again. The devil doesn't win.
it feels like that a lot of believers have just thrown in the towel and said, we can't defeat this. No. Just stop fighting it the wrong way. Let's get back to a biblical perspective. Let's get on our knees. Let's stand up for truth in a way that's righteous and lovely. And let's let God do what God does. Stop trying to do God's job. Let God do His job. But it starts with changing the way we think. Well, that's going to require some things to change. Yep. But that's okay because we need it. We need it. We need to change. We need to change. Amen. Yeah, anybody get this? Anybody getting it? Oh, I got so much more. I didn't even get to the anything, really. Won't you stand with me? Thank you for being a part of the Summit Church podcast today. We pray that God used today's podcast to draw you closer to Him. You can stay in the know at Summit by following us on social media. Thank you again for being a part. This is the Summit Church podcast.